6, if you have your Bible this morning, 2 Kings chapter number 6. He is worthy, isn't he? I'm glad I'm on the winning side this morning. And I know how things are going to turn out in the end. I don't know how they're going to happen until they get there, but I know what's going to happen when we get there. And uh, I'm glad that I know Jesus. I'm glad that He's worthy. And I think the Lamb's going to be praised then, but I think He ought to be praised today as well. And if we're going to be able to worship Him then, I think we ought to be able to worship Him today. And uh, if we get excited about heaven and what it's going to be like then, we ought to be able to be excited about it now, what, it's going, what, he's, what we've got right now in the Lord Jesus as well. Second Kings chapter 6, verse number 8 is where I want to read to you in just a moment. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse number 8. Y'all ready? Amen. Hope everybody's ready. I heard a story the other day. Preacher got done preaching. A little boy walked up to him and he said, Preacher, now you said that we all came from dust, right? And that preacher said, yeah, that's right. That's what happens. And he looked at him and he said, you said when we die, we're all going to go back to dust, right? And the preacher said, well, yeah, that's right. Why why do you ask such? And he said, well, preacher, you got to come over to my house and look under my bed. He said, there's a lot of people. I don't know whether they're coming or going. And uh, I know that really, y'all don't know anything about that, most of you. But there are some of you slackers out there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this morning, you get to move in furniture and you want to cover it back up. You didn't think you were that dirty of a person, uh, but you are. And we all are, but there's an old saying that people say, uh, out of sight, out of mind sometimes. And that, that proves to be true uh, in most areas of our life. If we don't see it, we don't really think about it. But I'm afraid this morning that that is not only true concerning the things of our life in a physical sense, but I believe that's probably also true concerning most people in their spiritual walk as well. They can't see God, and so they don't ever think about God. And they can't see heaven, and so they don't ever think about heaven. And they can't see the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them, and so they don't ever think about the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them. And they can't see the angels of God that are encamped all around us, and so they don't think about all of those things. They're blinded because you say, well, I can't see those things physically. And so to us, because they're out of sight, they're out of mind. That's the reason we ought to be praying today, Lord, open our eyes. We want to see these things, Lord. We want to know that these things are true. We want to be able to understand these things in our life. I think about the Scripture that we're going to read today. The story that it tells is probably one of the greatest stories or one of my favorite stories As I read in the Bible, it tells of a man that was troubled. It tells of a man that saw what he didn't want to see, but couldn't see what he needed to see. And he saw the enemy that was surrounded all about him. And he saw how bad everything was. And he saw defeat. And he saw doom. And he saw there's no hope in this situation. But then God opened the eyes of that man. And that man no longer saw defeat. But now he saw deliverance. And he no longer just saw the enemy. But he saw the host of heaven that had surrounded them in that place. And may I say today, what we need as a church and what we need as a country and what we need as a Christian is we need for God to open our eyes so that we can see God in this place. So that we can see God in our life. That He might reach down and that He would show us that while things may not be going the way that we want them to go. That we're still on the winning side this morning. And that we might be reminded that while the devil's gaining ground, there's coming a day where the only thing the devil's going to have 
is a place in the lake of fire and He's going to lose and it's going to be over with. And the one who thought that He had it all done 2,000 years ago at Calvary is going to realize, hey, I lost it all because Jesus is the King, and He'll always be the King. I pray this morning that God would open our eyes and that we would see these things, that we would see what God wants us to see. Look with me, Second Kings chapter 6, verse number 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. That means it was done more than that, alright? He didn't just do it one or two times, but this happened multiple times. It says there, verse number 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Assyria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host and they came by night and compassed the city about and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth behold a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots and his servant said unto him alas my master how shall we do and he answered fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them let read that again fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them and alas Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I want you to just consider a few things from this story this morning. Notice the conflict that was at hand. The king of Syria wanted to attack the people of Israel. He wanted to take the king of Israel. He wanted to do away with the people of of Israel. And so the king would come up with these different plans, but you know what God would do? God would give that man of God insight as to what the king of Syria was going to do. And Elisha would tell the king of Israel and Israel would get himself out of there. And this happened on multiple occasions. God used this man of God to give insight to the king of Israel to save the people of Israel from Syria. And you know what happened to Syria? They got mad. And they got a little perturbed. That king was used to getting what he wanted and that king asked his servants to come in and he said I want to know he said I want to know which one of you is for the king of Israel because one of y'all is telling the king of Israel what I'm about to do and he's getting out of there and one of his servants said listen king it ain't us that's telling him but God's doing that all right it's not us that's telling Israel what you're doing but it's that man of God over there in Israel he's telling the king God's giving that man insight and that man's telling the king and God's using that to save the people from the enemy. And you know what the enemy did? The enemy got mad. And the enemy said, well, I'm going to do 
something about that. And can I say this morning, somebody's going to be mad at you anyways. It might as well just be the enemy, alright? Somebody's not going to like you. It might as well just be the enemy. And I'm glad when the enemy doesn't like us. I know there's some people, boy, they want the world just to love them. And they want the, the world to praise them. And they want the world to say, boy, that's the best preacher. And that's the best church. Hey, it don't matter if the world says that. We ought to want God to say that about us today. And when you're doing what God wants you to do, the enemy's not always going to like you. The enemy's not always going to be your biggest fan. The king of Syria sent out those men. And he said, I want you to go gather around that man of God. And I want you to get him. Because we got to put a stop to what God's doing in that person's life. And so he sent out his soldiers and they found out where Elisha was. And when they went out there, they surrounded them. They had them guarded. They had them, uh, in com- they had them go- gathered around where there was no getting out. There was no- Elisha and this servant. They were not people of military. They were not people of great resources. They were just people of God doing what God called them to do. And they found themselves in a conflict. And can I say this morning, we live in a world of conflict today. We live in a world that is characterized by conflict, by adversity, by problems, by struggles, by hardships, and all of these things will just continue in our life. If you're a child of God this morning, know this, life's going to be full of conflict. You say, well, somebody told me that when I got saved, life was going to be easy. Well, they told you a lie this morning if that's what they told you. If they told you that if you'll get saved, you'll never have a problem in your life, then they lied straight to your face when they told you that because that's not what Christianity is when you become a Christian and you get saved and you start living for the Lord in your life there will be a conflict that you face there will be struggles in your life there will be problems in your life because the one who has the second greatest power other than the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth he hates you and he wants to devour you and he wants to destroy you and he's not just hanging out in his room hoping that life doesn't go good for you but he's out and about seeking whom he may devour and because of that life will be filled with conflicts there is the conflict today between our own flesh and our faith I don't know about you, but I want to do right most of the time. But every time I want to do right, you know what I want to do? I want to do wrong as well. It never fails. Every time that I say I'm going to do something for the Lord, my flesh says you ought to do this. You say you're a preacher, you shouldn't have that problem. Well, you ought to get a new one because I got that problem, All right, And so do you this morning. You have a conflict between your faith and your flesh every single time. Every time that you want to serve the Lord, your flesh is going to battle you and your flesh is going to go to war with you and your flesh is going to do everything that it can to keep you from doing what God is telling you to do in your life. It is a conflict and it will never end on this side of heaven. There is a conflict between our wants and God's will. We want to do God's will for our life, but you know what that means? A lot of times that means I've got to sacrifice my wants. It means I can't do the things that I want to do. It means that, hey, if I, if I live, if I do what God's called me to do and I serve God where God wants me to go, then I may not get to do everything that I ever wanted to do. And so there's this conflict. What do I do? What, what decision do I make? Do I do the will of God or do I go for the wants that I have? 
You say, why don't people serve the Lord today like they should? Why aren't people as faithful to church like they should be? Why is the harvest truly plenteous, but the laborers are few? Because the will of God gets in the way of the wants of man. And so we choose our wants over His will most of the time. It's a conflict. It ain't ever going to end. It's never going away on this side of heaven. But there is also a conflict between our culture and Christianity. Have you ever wondered, you listen to the news, maybe you listen to the radio, whatever it may be that you pay attention to, if you, if you, if you, if, if, if you listen to any of that, alright, if you watch any of that. But if you do that, here's what you'll find. You'll find a lot of times they'll defend the Buddhist. And you'll find that they'll defend to some extent the Islamic religion to some extent. You'll find that even the atheists, they'll defend to some extent. You'll look at all these organizations that are filling our world with all sorts of ungodliness and they'll promote that to some extent. But you put a Christian out there for some reason and you put something out there that has to do with Christianity and they'll do everything that they can to get rid of it. They'll censor it. They'll bash it. They'll talk about it. They'll cover it up. Or they won't talk about it in some way. But they're going to do everything they can to conceal and to hide that and to not let it get out there because there is a conflict not with our world and religion, not with our world and morals, but with our culture and Christianity. Because we live in a culture that is anti-God, it's anti-Bible, it's anti-Jesus, it's anti-righteousness. It goes against all of those things and you better believe that it's only going to get worse as we keep going in this direction. There is a conflict between the culture and Christianity and we ought not be surprised that there is and we ought not be surprised that it will just continue to go on that way as well. You say, well preacher, can't we all have peace today? Jesus came to bring peace. May I say Jesus didn't come to bring peace. Jesus came to bring a sword and He said when I bring the sword and I cut down the middle, you're going going to be on this side or you're going to be on this side. This doesn't bring unity to a culture. Okay, It brings unity to the family of God and to the church of God, but to the world that serves the devil. It ain't going to bring unity. It's only going to bring division. And we're seeing that in the world that we live in today. There is a conflict that surrounds us. It's inside of us. It's all around us. It's in our culture. It's in the world that we are living in. All told Timothy that those days would be characterized as perilous times. He said when Jesus was teaching His disciples He talked about the days of Noah. Are we there yet? Probably so. If we're not, we're real close today, alright? We're getting there if we're not already there. We're seeing these things. We see the conflict that goes on. Notice the second part of this story. The concern. This servant came. It said when he was risen early and he went forth in verse number 15, Behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Here he is. He's been walking with Elijah. The one who got the double portion of the Spirit of God. He's Man, he's doing good. You know what just happened earlier in chapter number 6? That person was out there going away at those trees and that axe head fell off and it went into the river and Elisha went in and he threw that tree. He threw that tree in the river and you know what floated? The iron did float. It did swim. It came up. I'm sure this servant saw that, alright? He saw what God could do. But then he woke up the next morning real early and he went outside 
to drink his coffee and do all of those things and have a word with God maybe. But when he went out there, instead of enjoying creation and instead of enjoying time with God and instead of enjoying whatever it was that he did in the morning, he looked about and he was surrounded by the enemy. And he dropped what he was doing and he ran back to Elisha and he said, Alas, Master, how shall we do? We're surrounded. There's no hope. There's no getting out of here. We've had a good run, but the enemies got us surrounded and there was nothing that he could do. May I say, that's the morale of most Christians today, unfortunately. That's the attitude that most of them have today is it's all, it's, it's over with. We're losing. Everything is doom and gloom and how poor pitiful me and all of these things and, and life is so bad and, and the world's so bad and, and we'll never have victory again and, and we're thinking how are we going to get out of this thing? And Elijah looked at that servant and he said, fear not, alright? He said, don't be afraid. You, you may be surrounded by the enemy today, but Elisha said, don't be afraid of the enemy. And he told him this, there are more for us than there are for them. I'm glad the truth that Elisha said to that servant is still true today. And while the enemy may be big, God's bigger today. And while the enemy may be great, God's still greater today. And while the enemy may have us surrounded, God's bigger than the enemy that has us surrounded. He said, listen, don't be afraid. You and I don't have to live in fear today. I'm glad I don't have to be afraid of things. Boy, I'm, there's some things I am afraid of, some people I'm afraid of, and I won't give any names, but I'm glad I don't have to live in fear this morning. God said, listen, you belong to me. And I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I didn't give you a spirit of bondage. I didn't give you that. But the spirit that I gave you is one of power and of love and a sound mind. You don't have to be in bondage to the fear of this world. You don't have to let the enemy that surrounds you and everything that bad that's going on in your life to control you. You might be concerned this morning, but you don't have to be consumed by it. And there may be some things that alarm you, but you don't have to panic because of them. And there may be some things that cause you to worry a little bit, but you don't have to live in fear today. Hey, I'm a child of the King. All right. I'm held in the hand of the Almighty. Not just on Sunday, but all through the week I belong to Him. And you belong to Him. If you've trusted in Him, we don't have to live in fear of this world. We don't have to live in fear of the devil. We don't have to live in fear of the things that may happen that are out of our control. Elijah made one of the most profound and powerful statements a preacher probably has ever made when he said that in verse number 16, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I wonder if Paul, when Paul was writing to those Romans that would suffer great persecution, if he might have had that story on his mind when he wrote, if God be for us, who can be against us? When he wrote to him and he said, I want you to know, come, come death, come height, come death, come perse persecution, come pestilence, whatever may come. He said, there's not one thing on this earth that can keep you to be separated from the love of Jesus Christ. There's not one thing. You say, well, preacher, I'm surrounded by the enemy. Well, when you're surrounded by the enemy, just know on the inside God's there with you. You're not by yourself in that moment. He told His servant, He said, don't be afraid. Don't let this consume you. Sure, you say, well, preacher, how can I not let it consume me? It's all I see. It's all I know. It's, it's, I mean, it's all that they talk about. It's all that's going on. Well, maybe what we ought to do 
every now and then is turn off the things that just discourage us and every now and then pick up that which can encourage us and quit taking in everything that's going to get you down and start taking in something that might get you up a little bit and that's the Word of God and, and be reminded of the truth that Elisha told this servant there are more for us than there are for them. We're on the winning side. We know what happens to the enemy. I don't know what all all the enemy is capable of, but I know what the enemy is destined to, and I know what the enemy has waiting for them, and I know whose side I'm on today. I don't know everything about the enemy, but I know who owns me. Look at what Elisha said. We see Elisha's cry. The concern of this servant was, what are we going to do? But then in verse number 17, Elisha not only told this servant about the truth, but he went a step further in verse number 17. Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Boy, he told him about the presence and maybe Elisha could tell he's just not getting it. He's not getting it. You ever told somebody, you ever told somebody about God's truth and just felt like, boy, they just didn't get it. And you wanted to say it again, right? And you told them about the gospel and they still didn't get saved. And you thought, I'm just, I'm going to take this Bible and I'm just going to hit them with it until they get it, you know? And I'm going to tell them the truth and, and they just don't get it. And sometimes the only thing that's left for you and I to do is to cry out like Elisha did. Elisha told him the truth, but you could tell maybe in in his character and his disposition that he just didn't understand what Elisha was saying. And so the Bible says that Elisha prayed. He prayed and said, Lord, would you open his eyes? Lord, would you open his eyes that he can see? Because I told him and it wasn't enough. I told him and it didn't do the trick. But Lord, I need you to reach down from heaven and touch his heart and open his eyes so that he might see what I can see. So that he might see and he might know what I know. That he might feel what I feel. That he might understand what I understand. There's somebody here this morning that you've got a burden on your heart. And there's somebody that weighs heavy on your heart. And they're in a tough spot. And you tell them about Jesus all the time. And you witness to them and you tell them but what God says and it's not doing any good. You're there and you're trying to plant seeds and you're planting seeds and you're saying, Preacher, I don't know how long I can tell them. I know just this morning from several of you that you invited people to church today and you know what happened? They didn't come, did they? You reached out to them and you wanted them to come and you extended that invitation and it didn't do anything. It didn't work. They're not here. And you're going to say, well, preacher, we might as well quit, right? We might as well just give up because it's not going to work. I believe that we ought to follow the pattern of Elisha and go a step further and find a place where we can get down and pray to God and say, Lord, would you open their eyes that they may see? Because I can't do it. I can't make them see. I want them so badly to know what I know. And I want them so badly to see what I see. And I want them so badly to get what I got. But I can't do it, but God can. And so we got to find a place and we got to say, God, would you open their eyes? For some of you this morning, it's your children and it's your grandchildren and they're lost and they're headed to hell. And you say, well, preacher, I don't know what else to do. You can beg God. 
You can go to the throne of grace today and you can say, God, open their eyes, please. Please open their eyes that they may see. For some of you this morning, it's a friend, it's a family member that's backslidden. And they're not living the way that God wants them to live and you know that. And you've told them that and you've told them that and you've told them that. And it hadn't done a bit of good yet. Maybe what you and I need to do is we need to find a place where we can just get down and we can cry out like Elijah did. God, open their eyes that they may see. Lord, I'm trying. I'm telling them I'm telling them the truth I'm trying to get it to them it's not working we just need to fall down we say Lord Lord would you in your infinite power goodness and mercy do something to touch their heart and open their eyes that they may see only God can do that it breaks your heart when you see them it breaks your heart because you so badly want them to know what the Bible says you want them so badly to experience what you've experienced for the Lord. May I say today that we have the responsibility. We don't just have the opportunity. We have the responsibility as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a child of God to be a royal priesthood and to intercede on behalf of those around us and those in our life. It is not just something we get to do. It's something we ought to do in our life as well. But I, I believe today and in my life looking from personal experience and maybe that you would say the same about you that we have forsaken the responsibility to pray. And we have bought into this idea, well, they're going to make that decision on their own. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to go around beating everybody up the head with a Bible, alright? I'm not going to go around hitting everybody and preaching to everybody everywhere that I go and tugging on every shirt tail. And I'm not going to go around doing that. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, not, I'm going to tell them about the Lord when I get the opportunity, when God gives me that opportunity and He plants it on my heart to do that. I'll preach when God lets me preach and I'll, I'll do those things when God urges me and pushes me to do that. But I have the responsibility to pray for them all the time. And I have the responsibility to never give up praying for them. I believe today that there's power in the prayers of God's people. There always has been and there always will be. But it seems like a lot of us sometimes have forsaken the responsibility to pray. We've put that off and we say, well, they'll do that when they want. They'll do that on their own. Somebody else will pray. God's will is going to be done. Ain't no matter what. Can I say this morning, you say God's will is going to be done no matter what I don't really have to pray why in the world would we pray then we, we, we say that we say well there's no reason for me to pray the Lord's will is going to be accomplished that's not true alright that, that's not always true God is not just going to force all of these things to happen I wonder how many people are saved today because by the prayers of God's people God softened their heart for years before they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ I wonder how many people are back in church today because the Lord used the prayers of God's people to soften their heart and cultivate their heart and prepare their heart to hear what God wanted them to hear and to open their eyes so that they might see the Lord in their life. It's our responsibility to pray. We'll have an altar call in a moment. And I've noticed in churches we've been at, preaching at in revivals and going to revivals and different things, it seems almost like that is the most dreaded part of services. We'll have an altar call. We'll sing a song. We'll mumble our way through the song. The preacher will say, let's sing another verse. Half the congregation goes, we sing another verse. We go through that. We get it over with. And you say, well, preacher, you don't understand. Listen, I know this morning you got way more important things to do than this, all right? You got football games to watch and dinner to catch and a seat at Rancho to get. Listen, I understand that and I'll respect your time, all right? But there is nothing else. 
There is nothing else more important than somebody doing business with God in this place. There's not one thing that will ever come close to somebody spending time in the presence of God. They've got somebody on their heart. They've got somebody that they're broken for. And if they need to beg God for five minutes that God would open their eyes, hey, let them beg for five minutes that God would open their eyes because it might be the thing that makes an eternal difference in the life of that person that they're praying for. It ought to be the part that we look forward to the most where we can gather in the presence of God and God can speak to our hearts and then a filthy sinner like me can bow before a thrice holy God and just pour out everything that I have to Him. It ought to be what we're looking forward to. It ought to be the part I can't wait till I get to commune with God. Whether it be at the altar, whether it be in my prayer closet, but there's just something about that place when I can get away from everything else and I can fall in His presence. I believe the problem that in most churches have isn't that they don't have programs it isn't that they don't have decent preaching. It isn't that they don't have, you know, good singing and fellowship. But most of them aren't saturated in the prayers of God's people. And if we'd saturate this church, and we'd saturate these services, and we'd saturate the preacher, and we'd saturate the singers, and we'd saturate those that are going to be here in prayers that God might open their eyes, I believe God could do it. Look at what it says there in verse number 17. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. No magic potion that was ever poured out. No hop with your left foot and jump with your right foot to make it happen. But one man prayed and God did it. And look at what the Bible says in verse number 17. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He looked out there the first time and he said, man, we're surrounded. He went and he, Elisha prayed. And you know what he went back out and he said? He said, I'm not the one surrounded they're surrounded now. We like to look and say, I'm surrounded by the enemy. But here's the thing. The enemy's surrounded by God. And God's on the winning side. God is the winning side. And what we need to happen this morning is we need for God to open our eyes that we may see. That we'll see the goodness of God and we'll see all that God's doing. And that we'll see in this moment of conflict that you're going through. I don't know what is going on in your life, but the moment of conflict that you're experiencing today that maybe God would open your eyes and you would see, hey, God is enough. In 2011, and I'll close, God started working on my heart to preach. And I remember listening to sermon after sermon about that. And I thought, you know what? There's no way that I'll be a preacher. There's no way I'll do that. And you think today, well, you talk all the time. But Miss April, I didn't always talk like I talk now. I'm getting pretty good at talking today. But I didn't always talk like I talk. It wasn't always something I liked to do. I thought there's no way that I'll ever be able to do that. I remember thinking it goes against my flesh because my flesh wants to do something else. It goes against my wants because I want to do something else. I felt like it's going to go against culture and it's going to make me different than other people. It's not. I'm not going to fit in. It's not going to go. And I thought there's no way that I'll ever do this. The enemy will destroy me and I'll never make it. July the 14th in 2011, I remember listening to a sermon. I talked to the preacher about it already. I discussed it a little bit. But that night at that service, I remember God just opening my eyes and saying, listen, I'm enough, alright? 
I am enough. And he's still enough today. He's been enough since July 14th of 2011. And he's enough today in 2022. And he'll be enough until the day that I die. And then I'll be with him. And I want you to know this morning, he's enough for you too. He's enough for everything that you'll ever go through in life. And no matter how big the enemy is, you can guarantee this, God's bigger than the enemy. He always will be. He'll never give up. He'll never lose. He's never lost one time. Why? Why would he start losing in your life if he's never lost before? He's always won and he always will be. Won't you surrender your life to him today and say, Lord, I need you to open my eyes and I need you to show me. Show me what I need to see and show me what I need to do. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer and a song of invitation. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray, Lord, today that you would open our eyes and you would help us to see. Lord, we can get so distracted and focused on the things of this life. We can become discouraged. Lord, we want to quit sometimes and we just don't think there's any way out. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes today, that you would show us, Lord, that you've got the enemy surrounded, that we're on the winning side, Lord, that we can keep going, keep pressing on because you're going to give us what we need. You're always enough. Lord, there's somebody here this morning that's lost. Lord, they're headed for hell in this place. I'm so glad that they're here. And I'm so glad that you've met with us to draw them. I pray today that they would respond and be saved before it's everlasting too late. Lord, that their eyes would be open to see the truth of their sin, of their sentence, Lord, but also of the great salvation that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you show them that? Lord, move in our midst. Help us to draw closer to you. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing.